on the viewpoint. We can't get ladies get too comfortable on men's seats. Forget I said that because, my goodness, that's an abomination. Thank you so much for our guest in Tasneem for having a very thought-provoking engagement with Musi and Mohale. It's just a pity we didn't recognize the many first-time callers in that last segment, which is testament to the depth by which you really got to the issues, peeling the stuff that on my own I probably haven't done in the time that I've sat on the seat. So many thanks to you, Tasnim, and also for bringing the voices that truly can get to the core of these issues in um, Busi as well as Bonang. I mean, those voices are well known in the circles, and they are doing what they can with what they have, and certainly I think we need to support them to the extent that we can by having these conversations, and by support I also mean your voice is ultra-critical, given the fact that you're the two I see in the Black Management Forum, an organization that is touching on 15 years, engaging some of these issues, a lot of which are going to carry through into the story that continues. So never mind the cheek by which I entered this segment. It was only a joke and just to confirm you've done incredibly well in sort of addressing the core issues that a lot of the time as an individual on this platform I tend to miss. And that's the value, ladies and gentlemen, for those at home of having guests come over and and in the true sense take over. I cannot and will never be able to address every matter that matters the way the matter is due to be addressed. The Tasneems of this world have got far greater experience and exposure and affinity to the issues. And that's important why they come through, they take over and engage. And your support is always welcome as it is appreciated. So thank you very much for the first hour's conversation. Because she has enjoyed herself as much as she has, Tasneem has agreed to indulge us by a further 45 minutes of her time. So she's going to take us through to the end of the program as we engage some of the issues on Good Governance Africa. You know, So let's continue then in the hashtag, the African narrative. Our guest this evening is Dr. Ross Harvey. He's the Director for Research at Good Governance Africa and joins us now to talk about the Pledge to Good Governance Following the unrest that swept through South Africa in July, Good Governance Africa believes that many African citizens want to act and make a personal contribution to improving governance on the continent. Good Governance Africa has launched a new website designed to allow African citizens to take meaningful social action whilst accessing politically neutral governance research and analysis. They are also asking South Africans to take a pledge to good governance on their new website. And, of course, we're going to talk more about that as we engage Ross Harvey, the Director of Research at Good Governance Africa. That's GGA. Ross, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Sengezo. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. I do confirm, Ross, that if you don't hear me asking a question, please don't be alarmed. Tasneem Fredericks, the Deputy President of the Black Management Forum, is the co-host for this segment with you, and she will certainly chip in with a couple of questions because her work in the corporate law space as well as in the Black Management Forum very much does dovetail with the aspects and elements that are associated to good governance. So when she does participate, please do indulge her. But very brief. Good Governance Africa, a bird's eye view and what its vision is ultimately about. Yeah, brilliant. So Good Governance Africa exists to improve citizens' lives through enhanced governance. And we understand governance uh, essentially as the authoritative allocation of resources. It answers this question of who gets what, when and how. Uh, And good governance Uh, is that which ensures that we have equitable distribution of resources in a way that helps economies to grow, governments to become more effective, 
and citizens to become more active in holding their governments to account. So what do we do at Good Governance Africa? Uh, We encourage government effectiveness. We encourage the private sector to become development partners. uh, And we encourage citizens to become more active uh, and to develop voice and to hold their governments to account to create uh, a narrow corridor, if you like, in which economic dynamism can flourish, uh, where we move away from rent-seeking and autocracy and from lawlessness uh, and become uh, societies across the continent that actually uh, imbibe and reflect the rule of law, uh, that commit to constitutionalism. uh, And what we see uh, lacking, uh, you know, is manifold. But one of the things that we really want to build is an active citizenry. Uh, you'll remember uh, the Trevor Manual actually uh, many years back really emphasized the importance of this. Uh, and we see some of the fruits of it, you know, as despondency-inducing as some of our governance challenges are in Southern Africa uh, and even in our own country, we do see the benefit of Uh, citizens and the media being able to hold the state to account, uh, and that's very encouraging. So that's Good Governance Africa. This is what we do. We we conduct research and engage in advocacy that provides evidence-based recommendations for policymakers, uh, and we provide intelligence to the private sector that really helps them to become development partners rather than mere uh, rent extractors or policy takers. That's us. Sure. There, there are many levels to good governance on the continent. We can talk about good governance in the political sense. We can talk about good governance. And this is Tasneem's space, especially in the corporate world, because what happens in the corporate world has serious consequence for what actually takes place at a socioeconomic level. And that becomes the lived experience of many people on the continent. And the interplay between business and politics is one that does require an examination. But the question that I really do wish to pose, when we talk about engaging an active citizenry, there are so many disparities on the ground on the continent. Forget the continent, look at South Africa. There are so many disparities where you find a lot of people are off the grid. They are not in a position to even exercise their thoughts where their thoughts are given the kind of legitimacy that perhaps you and I, by virtue of occupying this platform, do. Some of those thoughts are locked in language. English receives a dominant space over the other 10 official languages in the country, for instance. Two, the increase and upsurge of online technologies and social media. Disinformation is one aspect of it, but the fact that so many South Africans are not in those spaces for want of data and access to data and related spaces keeps them outside of the mainstream. And then, of course, the patronage system that allows particular political voices to be louder or more engaged than other political voices and other social spaces. There just continues to be layers and layers within the South African society that keeps people out more than it enjoins people into the space. Make the circle bigger. More voices, it might take longer, but the very questions that are asked on that platform will yield the kinds of solutions that South Africa is due. How do you propose Good Governance Africa then will attend to those inherent and I would even say systemic challenges so that when you talk about active citizenry, 
it's actually predicated on the basis that there is real potential and real access for the citizenry to be active, to hold these institutions accountable. That's my last question. The next one's going to come from Tasneem. Yeah, terrific, Sengeza. Well articulated, and, uh, and I have huge empathy for, uh, for the question. Um, I think, very simply, you have to start somewhere. And the process of inclusive development and participatory and anticipatory governance uh, is a long one. Uh, and, and, of course, there are many layers and, and there are many obstacles and challenges to overcome. But I think what you don't want is to fall into a position where you say, look, these challenges are just too overwhelming. You know, our starting point is so challenging. These disparities of which you speak, uh, the inequalities, the access to information, the language barriers, uh, the, uh, the inequity of voice, uh, those are all massive challenges. But we have to start somewhere. And in fact, the interesting thing about governance and good governance in particular is that if you start to get it right at the macro level, Now, if you start to influence policy in the right direction, then the downstream consequences of which you have just spoken uh, actually start to to change. Our job at at Good Governance Africa is to reach those who we can, and we don't pretend to be able to reach everyone, though we're trying. Um, But if our job is to influence policy upstream and to help the corporate sector to, to engage in that as well and to ensure that the relationship between business and politics is less toxic than it has been, um, more uh, professional and uh, really more uh, engaging of the principles of good governance like separation of powers and not uh, the embedding of patronage networks, then we will start to see improved downstream effects. We'll start to see some of the language barriers being overcome. We'll start to see private sector uh, growth that is is inclusive and not only benefiting of those few who have political connections like we saw under the previous regime. Uh, and that will start to change the lives of those who currently suffer the downstream effects of poor governance at the macro leadership level in, in business and politics. So in a nutshell, what we want is a move away from personalized deal-making, uh, a Zupta-type setup, if you like, towards more uh, impersonalized deal-making where our institutions are stronger, where our Chapter 9 institutions that are meant to hold the state to account actually work properly, uh, or where the National Prosecuting Authority and the intelligence services actually do uh, operate uh, in the way that they should to hold the executive to account, where the courts intervene and say, look, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, if you commit crimes, you go to jail. Uh, those things are really important. So despite all of the challenges that you mentioned, we, we, we have to start somewhere. And it doesn't mean that we can't get citizens involved uh, in that, uh, as few as it may be in the beginning. And, and maybe a final point on this is that you, you'll you notice that despite the challenges, there are a vast number of people who do have access and who are listening. Uh, and and we have to do everything we can to, to reach them because our job ultimately is to improve citizens' lives, uh, especially uh, the poorest of the poor who for too long have been excluded and marginalised. Yep. Thanks. Um, so this is an extension of the takeover. Welcome, Ross. My name is Tasneem Fredericks, and I'm the Deputy President of the Black Management Forum. Um, it is an NPC, an organization that um, is also um, 
similar in a sense to yours in that we also advocate um, for the advancement and development um, and, and empowerment of managerial leadership, primarily amongst black people as the demographic um, majority in the country. So, yeah, I think Ross, for me, it, it would be to say, um, do you consider governance, when you say this pledge to governance, do you consider transformation as an element of good governance? Yeah, absolutely, Tasneem. Yeah, thanks for, for the question. Um, so, I, uh, the, the, the basic role of the pledge is to try and engage especially affected citizens. Um, so, so transformation is, is something we see uh, essentially as a, uh, as a byproduct of getting governance right, uh, but not, it's not something that we uh, don't focus on uh, primarily per se either. You know? so, so for us, it's not an either or. It's a, it's a matter of saying, look, you know, for so long, um, the majority of citizens in this country have been excluded. Um, and so our, our push towards good governance is not uh, one primarily of uh, affirmative action or the, the, the uh, enhancement of uh, broad-based black economic empowerment per se. Um, we're starting, if you like, uh, one step even back from that, saying let's get the governance structures right um, so that we do open the space uh, for, for all players uh, and um, and we we want to see uh, genuinely inclusive development. We want to see genuinely pot- participatory governance. Um, and so, transformation I think follows. You know, for, for us, I mean, this this may sound somewhat controversial. It's not meant to be, um, but if you look at at Piketty, for instance, in his big book on inequality, um, one of the things that good commentators have pointed out is that the way to address inequality is not uh, through redistribution alone. Um, it's actually through attacking the drivers that lead to inequality. So in South Africa, for instance, what leads to a lack of transformation? Uh, in many respects, it's the personalized deal-making of which I just spoke. What, what excludes black people from the economy uh, it's the political and business elite strike deals that exclude people. And we aren't going to reverse that only through the channels of affirmative action and black economic empowerment. We're going to reverse that through those things complemented by a focus on better governance, um, where we actually adhere to the Constitution, build up the rule of law, and ensure that Business has opportunity to thrive, uh, and I think that you'll see genuine transformation in the economy uh, taking place if we get governance right at, at the macro level. So that's a, probably a rather circuitous way of answering your question. Yes, transformation matters to us, um, but we don't want a narrow focus on transformation that uh, comes at the expense of recognizing that the reason transformation is so impeded often is because... Uh, some of the more basic governance uh, parameters are not in play as they should be. 
Ross, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to pause so that sure. we can open the lines, and I do want to respond, um, and and totally disagree with you um, on that point that you've made quite a few, in fact. Sure. Um, but let me give you the let me give the listeners the number at zero double one seven one four two double zero six. That number again zero double one seven one four two double zero six. And we will now switch to an ad. And when we get back, Ross, you and I will um, digest those statements um, a little bit deeper. Great. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songa Zoma on SAFM. Songa Zoma on the viewpoint indeed. I do remind you to keep listening because there shall be a time where the competition for SABC's 85th birthday, SAFM's 85th birthday in specific terms, will play. And I do want to give out a thousand rand give voucher to somebody tonight because yesterday the turnout was not only poor, but it was wrong to the extent that we did get a turnout. Keep listening. You might get yourself a grand voucher. Now, something quite interesting has developed in the course of this conversation conversation with Dr. Ross Harvey, Director of Research at Good Governance Africa, and my co-host this evening, Ms. Tasneem Fredericks, Deputy President of the Black Management Forum and Director at the law firm Fredericks Incorporated. And they are entering the terrain of something which is quite interesting as it is pertinent. The word transformation, I dare would say, is probably the one word in this country that causes consternation, doesn't have a defined set and agreeable definition. It is contested for good, for better. It is a contested word. Tasneem, you mentioned something that you don't agree with Ross on. In a nutshell, where do you take umbrage to his response to your question as to what extent, if at all, they incorporate transformation and where's the disagreement? First you and then Ross's response. Yeah, it's not so much umbrage. I think it's just a correction of perception because, um, you know, it, it was convenient during apartheid for white people not to resist, um, you know, the inequality that existed at the time because they were beneficiaries of apartheid. Um, and I think that, you know, the perception that affirmative action and black economic empowerment um, implies an automatic um you know, uh, inferiority of, of, of standards and um, a lesser quality item, you know, that perception and that narrative needs to be reframed. And I mean, you know, even this whole conversation, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going in a roundabout way to answer, um, Ross, is, is just to say this whole narrative around the, the looting, um, you know, and, and the unrest um, that, that we've experienced as a country. Um, you know, the whole narrative around that is, I want to say to Ross, that stealing a television or a fridge or a lounge suite does not create generational wealth. Um, so, you know, there are deeper issues in this country that we haven't addressed um, around um, the issue of land ownership, um, around issues. And, and, and I mean, I, I agree with you um, when you say that what I'm hearing you say is government has failed. Um, but what we must also acknowledge is that many of these corporates don't have a constituency. They have not been voted into power. Um, and while they are a role player, um, it, it's not government's job to pander to them. It's government's job to be accountable to citizens. And unfortunately, um, we live in a society where it's very difficult to hold government accountable as an ordinary citizen. 
Um, and I'd like to just, you know, hear your views in terms of, you know, this active citizenry, even if it's a few. I mean, there's no real uh, value. And, and, and labor unions have proven that there is power in numbers. So if you're going to do, if you're going to be, if we're going to be isolated two people in every province, we, we're not going to, we're not going to do, there's going to be no change, there'll be no impact. But I think just from a BMF perspective on the issue of poverty and you saying affirmative action, employment equity, benefiting a few, um, you know, I, 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 I don't think that we need to focus on the few that have been enriched because it's been so few. Um, I think that, um, you know, we, we we have this beautiful legislation and if we didn't have a policy we wouldn't have people embracing affirmative action employment equity at all but from, from a bmf perspective um on eradicating poverty i think it's important for you to know that um and and i mean you you quoted thomas piketty and so i want to quote lot and lovu in his book called lot speaks the bmf the BMF and I, and the reason that there is on detra for why the BMF exists is to create a strong black middle class that has bonds of obligation um, to their poor relatives. So if you're not going to make a transformation, um, a leading point for good governance, then you're never going to eradicate poverty. So I'm going to stop there and just um, yeah, Ross, allow, you probably uh, are licking your lips at the opportunity to respond and just to possibly set a record straight here and there. No, not at all. I mean, thanks, Sangezo and Tasneem. I, I, I hear you. Um, and and I think there are probably more points of agreement than there are of, of disagreement, Chair. Um, and so, I mean, I, I would probably just say look, it's in, in, important for listeners uh, to uh, to not uh, hear what I'm not saying. Mm. I'm not saying that I don't think that transformation is important. Uh, we do. We absolutely do believe that it's important. Um, but again, I, I, maybe I, I wasn't clear, but if you look at poverty, inequality, unemployment, um, the the means through which to address those, uh, those three evils, if you like, uh, and especially inequality, is not necessarily to attack inequality itself, it's such a massive problem, but rather to uh, try and get to grips with the drivers of that inequality. What has driven that inequality? In so many respects, it's been the the political settlement that existed prior to 1994 and has continued uh, in so many ways uh, since then because it has served uh, the political and business elites that have struck a particular type of elite bargain that has characterized our political system. So this is a question of uh, relative weight and emphasis. So where do we place emphasis? At Good Governance Africa, we place emphasis on getting institutions right, uh, institutions that function properly and function well, that uphold the constitution and the rule of law, so that we can break down uh, some of the, uh, the the deal-making that has resulted in poverty, inequality, and unemployment being perpetuated and entrenched uh, in the last 25 years, the very time which they should have been uh, reversed. Now, you said an interesting thing. You said, look, um, unless you make transformation a primary element of this pledge to good governance, we're not going to get anywhere. Um, 
I think that the, the difficulty with that assertion is that so much of the reason for why um, black economic empowerment is not as broad-based uh, as, as it should be um, is precisely because we've got, we've got literal policy issues, policy incoherence uh, that doesn't allow for small and medium-sized enterprises to grow. Um, we've, got, we've got governance challenges that continue to exclude the majority of black citizens in this country from, uh, from a good education. Um, and so is the way to deal with that through having a primary focus on transformation or is it on getting those structures right so the transformation follows? Now, again, it's not an either-or. You made an important point that without uh, BE and affirmative action legislation, um, lots of, of things would have just continued without any kind of recognition. So I think that it does give us a lens, and there's a good study by Intellidex uh, to suggest that, in fact, we can't just resort to this narrow uh, view that BE hasn't resulted in, uh, in, in any kind of broad-based benefit. It, it has. Um, and yet, the question still remains, is it the most optimal vehicle through which to achieve the kind of transformation that we want to see? Or uh, would we have better uh, allocative efficiency, if you like, sorry to use an, an economist phrase, if we really focused on, on getting governance rights? How are we going to deal with the land issue? Um, the land issue, in, in so many respects, to, to my mind, is, is so vexing not because there hasn't been a sufficient focus on transformation, but because the government ineptitude that has characterized the land redistribution process for the last 25 years hasn't been paid sufficient attention. Um, and so uh, hindrances to transformation occur because governance hasn't been addressed properly. Um, and, and again, it's not an either-or, but it's, it's a question of where do we allocate resources and where do we try and get bang for buck here? We, we absolutely want to see uh, land, you know, viable land redistribution taking place. We, we want to see uh, a transformed economy. How do we do it? We get governance right. We've, we've got to have a proper land reform program that, that entails a serious plan around proper capitalization, proper... Uh, transfer, um, it cannot be merely token. And I think the issue with, with the transformation narrative, and I know it doesn't mean this is not what you're saying at all, but I think that the, the focus on transformation so often comes at the expense of dealing with some of the more difficult governance challenges. Get the systems right, get the institutions right, uh, that grow black businesses, that, that grow uh, the ability and the effectiveness of government to actually provide quality education. Um, and, and on land redistribution, one of the things that we really need to talk about is, is what I call the deal with the devil, um, the, 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 uh, the kind of elite bargain struck between the chiefs who were, the, in many respects, the perpetrators of grand apartheid in cahoots with the Nats. Um, and, and the Jack, ANC I, government sorry, in 1994. Can I, can I ask? Yeah, of course. Sorry, there's, a, there's two callers on the line, so I just wanted to alert yeah, you yeah. to that and then we allow an engagement. But I, I did hear your points, and yeah, thank you. Bruce so in Randburg. 
Let's go to Bruce in Randburg, and then immediately thereafter, we go to Anonymous in Durban. Bruce, good evening. Bruce. Bruce. Uh, can you hear me? Indeed. Bruce, please go for it. Look, I was just saying, what, what a very interesting debate about where you know where we look, where we look at our economy and what's what's been going on the last couple of years. And I, I studied finance, but ended up working in, in software, mostly in the financial sector, and then in government. But also the work we did was out in Africa and Middle East. And one of the things that always has been in the back of our mind is, is obviously our economy and how it's so important in order to achieve. Um, not like many things, like spending power and the reality of addressing apartheid legacy. But obviously, if you look at 1994, and there's a lot of data, you can see things that have gone well. You can see things that haven't and things that are linked to apartheid. And, you know, and B, B does matter, okay? If things are organic and you do see changes. But I think what we've got to accept before we want to really make changes, and I know it doesn't sound nice to hear, so we have to fix what we inherited from state capture. And one of the things that's hanging over the entire country, and it's been raised, it's, it's based on what the credit ratings have been saying, and it, it really is not, it has to be done in order to fix things, is we've got to fix the parastatals, because at the moment, South Africa is seen as a company that's running in a loss. Now, it's not just the bonds and all that, it's the investment, because you're not going to, everything about job creation and what we need, FDR, does require other companies to look and say, we want to invest in you guys. And we, what, was, what happened in state capture was, was what was called a self-inflicted. But saying all that, we're now in this debt. Now, the only way to really do it, and this is the hard part, to fix our parastatals, is to, is to implement what has to happen as retrenchments. The structural reforms, maybe 10 to 12% retrenchments. You will, you will turn these things around, I promise you. Biggest problem we're going to have, unions push back, and government doesn't want to be seen to be anti-worker and anti-poor. But the truth is, you, it's not that. It's about actually, honestly demonstrating that these things can run properly because that is that is affecting all of us. So I do agree that transformation be matters, but I think we need to go back a bit and look at what's, what, uh, what was created, the debt. You can fix that. And even though people may think, no, it's, going, it's getting worse, it's actually not because once you get them profitable again, and it'll vary from you will see things getting better. Let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much for the indulgence, Bruce. Much appreciated, and thank you so much for honoring us. Let's go to Anonymous One in Durban, and it's not who you think it is. Anonymous, good evening. Hi. Yeah. Okay, first, yeah, I'd just like to address a land issue. Now, this was something that was uh, important to the electorate. The electorate had the PNC on the table in 1984, and uh, they could have voted for the PAC, and the PAC would have delivered land. And they, the PAC promised that every year. But instead, the elected voted for this government. And the truth is, this government has only put the land uh, issue on the table in the last two elections. Uh, prior to that, they were giving land to the friends. And what the electorate wants to realize is that this government couldn't deliver anything. And then we just get to you something like education. That's how you lift people out of poverty. There's no magic bullet for it. You have to educate people, and that's and people left out of poverty. 250 years ago, most of our great grandfathers were working in the land for pittance. Education lifted us all out of poverty. Then I just wanted to, uh, uh, Trevor Manuel's name was quoted uh, 
I mean, Trevor Manuel's not an expert on corporate governance. He, he was actually one of the signatories to the arms deal, so I wouldn't be quoting him, and that's when things started uh, to go wrong here. But if you want to talk about equality, you can talk all this academic stuff, but in a democracy, how you hold the government to account is you vote them out. Instead, this, this election has seen this government literally steal everything. They see people get murdered for reporting corruption. They see their kids uh, come home from school with, 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 with having not benefited 20 years at school. They see them sit at home unemployed, but still they vote the same. When the electorate understands that a democracy, you hold politicians to account by giving them temporary, uh, temporary employment, and when they don't perform, you vote them out. We change soccer coaches three times in a year. We can't change the government in 27 years. Thank you so much, Anonymous. I'm most indebted to your calling, even though the sweeping statements have a way of watering down otherwise your very good points. I mean, I am a product of this new dispensation. So, I mean, any of the sweeping statements that you make are invalidated by my presence here, for instance, and the growth that we have seen of and about Tasneem Fredericks that we were absolutely never going to see, period, if this was happening Mm -hmm. in the pre-1994 dispensation. Mm -hmm. In Gabecha, let's go to Edwin. Good evening, Edwin. Hello? Indeed. Go for it, Edwin. Ivan. Yes. Ivan is the name. Ivan. I beg your pardon. I see Edwin here. I beg your pardon, it's, Ivan. It's, Sorry. It's Ivan. Ivan. Uh, I'm phoning from Port Elizabeth. Also practicing as an attorney with Tasnim. And have lot, oh. lot, lots of respect for Tasnim. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to the show and I've been following her. But uh, what, what I would like to contribute to the show is two things. The issue of black economic empowerment, specific reference to black females. Mm. Did it work or did it not work? And if not, can your guests give us ideas why we believe that black economic has not worked with specific reference to all black females? out here in South Africa. That's the one part. The second part, there's quite strong law firms in Port Elizabeth, which were obviously established by white males, started to become a little bit transformed, and they dominate mostly the commercial areas of law. Mm-hmm. Together with that, there's so strong. much black females in Port Elizabeth, but the problem is the black females don't or don't see their way through to get together as one strong unit, start a big law firm just out of black women. And I can see that these young women in my area that I know, if they all get together and start building a proper law firm, they will be competition for most of these old generation law firms. But there is just, there's been talk, I've been talking with some females to look and consider something like that. And it mostly it's, it's one man show or it's two females trying to make ends meet. But the quality and the quantity of work don't come if you're not a certain size law firm. And uh, obviously, where does Nina's ending? She's obviously a go-getter, and I can see that she might be one of those leaders that yeah, yeah. can take us to that yes. level. And, and I mean, me as a young black professional, I look up to her. She's my 
Irvin, let's move on. I have to move on because I've got one more caller in Anonymous. The person that everybody is probably anticipating is the real deal. Anonymous in KZN. Thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, Good evening to you and your guest. I just want to ask one question only uh, to to any of the guests can answer. How much does a role uh, of uh, human resources uh, uh, play, uh, you know, in empowering this country? Fantastic. I want to give an opportunity to Tasneem because Tasneem has also been a guest and then a sort of a host and now she's dabbling between the two and a couple of questions have been posed to her. Tasneem, I'll give you a minute because I do want to, of course, in the light of the fact that the segment does belong to him as the guest, Ross Harvey, to have the final say. Go for it, Tasneem. Yeah, um, just, yeah, thank you to the callers who have called in and the contributions made. They're all noted. I'm not sure how to answer the last question, um, so I'm not going to lie, but I do want to say that um, to Ross in closing, um, just that in 2012, under the leadership of Bonang Mohali, the BMF actually took a pledge, um, an anti-racism pledge, and most corporates signed to say that they would not be racist within um, the workplace. And I mean, the fact that we even had to go to that extent meant that there was an implication that racism um, existed within the workplace for a lot of corporates. So on the issue of, you know, good governance, I think it's important that we cover things like anti-racism, Ross, um, that the advocacy is not just about the political elite, um, because I think there's an implication that uh, this whole organization has been formed uh, because they are political elite who do deals, but we don't speak about corporations who have these evergreen contracts with the very same government that they criticize. Um, so, I mean, the issue of governance is is very broad, um, and and I think it needs to be based on proper statistics and not just the narrative and 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 you know that the face of corruption is black because the Zonda Commission, Wilson's doing you know its its job. It hasn't stopped corruption at municipalities. Um, It's continuing unabated and we are plowing resources into, um, you know, into a a, a, a institution or rather an instrument where we have a parallel system um, called SAPS. So if you, if you want, if someone's if someone's stolen from you, if someone's committed fraud or embezzlement, you go to the police station and you open a case. Um, And now we've got the whole Zonda condition. But but I think maybe just. To close off and say that, you know, we, we really need to, I'm not dismissing governance at all. Um, I think that, you know, active citizenry, we definitely agree upon. We, we should make our voices amplified and make it heard. Unfortunately, the only way to do that is through voting for a specific party um, in order to affect that change. So I think maybe issues around changing our electoral system, changing the way we vote, changing the narrative in terms of seeing um, employment, you know, the discounting of employment equity and affirmative action um, so that we can finally stop having this conversation. Yeah. Ross, it is all yours. I've given you two minutes to respond to the extent that you can, because I think a lot of these conversations are carried through or are features of the product on the website of GGA, the Africa Digital Data Bank, the governance coefficient, the government barometer, the conflict in Africa monitor maps. A lot of what has been said, although through transformation. Some of these themes will feature in some of the products, and this is as good a time perhaps then to talk about the products that the GGA website will include and exactly how you intend to galvanize those conversations to become part of the do thing. 
do tank yes. a bigger pardon as opposed to just them merely being think tanks as traditionally they have been. Indeed. Yeah, mm. thank you, Shangezo, and thanks, Tasneem. Indeed. So our objective at mm. Good Governance Africa is to not just be a think tank, but to really be a, a do tank. So I do strongly encourage you to uh, visit our website. We're launching our new site uh, tomorrow. Uh, and and I, I would just uh, urge all your listeners to go and engage our, our site. One of the, the really interesting products that we've developed is uh, what we've called the governance coefficient, which tries to open up uh, the black box of governance, if you like, a little bit into Tasneem's point about uh, real data. Uh, we've tried to give a quantitative face to uh, a theoretical construct that economic dynamism flourishes uh, in the context of improved government effectiveness and increased citizen voice and accountability. And indeed, we do find that, and you'll see this interactive uh, graph on our, on our site under the governance coefficient, that uh, generally, of course, there are exceptions that, uh, that I would say prove this rule, but uh, as governance improves, especially on those two dimensions of government effectiveness and citizen voice and accountability, we do see a growth in GDP per capita. That's that's quantifiable. And of course, it's correlation, not necessarily causation. But yeah. it's a big part of the reason why at GGA we are focusing on improving government effectiveness and engaging citizens to hold their governments to account. Uh, and the kind of deal making that I'm talking about, uh, just in relation to Disney, is not, and and this is certainly not the case. You we, we you should never uh, assume that GGA is saying that uh, corruption is somehow uh, limited to um, to only the political elite. We fully recognise that uh, uh, corrupt deal making knows no color bonds uh, and 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 so mm. we certainly do recognize that and uh, and so all nefarious deal making has to be addressed so that we can we can build this narrow corridor in which economic dynamism flourishes uh, and, Let's leave it and there, not Ross. just corporate Yep. Let's so, leave it there. So I beg your pardon because I really have run out of time. I am two minutes yep. over time. So with much further ado, let me just extend gratitude to you, Ross Harvey, Director of Research at Good Governance Africa. And we would implore those who have participated in this conversation to Google Ross Harvey, to Google Good Governance Africa and participate on that platform to get a finer details as to what has been a teaser of the platform. But I think in closing, it is appropriate to give it to the lady of the hour who has done tremendous work both as a guest and more importantly as a host of this evening, Ms. Tasneem Fredericks, Deputy President of the Black Management Forum. Say goodbye to your listeners, Tasneem. Before I say goodbye, I want to say thank you to Lesecha and Phineas, thanks to all the callers, thanks to you, Songezo, and good evening, good night, sleep well. Thank you very much for having me. You have a tough job, by the way. You have a tough job. Thank I just you very want to say much. that. Thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> that. Tasneem yeah. Fredericks, all the very best for your career. And we certainly will follow the progress of the Black Management Forum, particularly in a couple of months' time where things may change or they may stay the same. Thank you.